0: Today, I think that we are something like part eight. All right, I'm getting a yes. Um, Emily says yes. So we are in part eight of our series, In Christ. And we started this series eight weeks ago, I guess. Uh, probably uh, May-ish. But um, we're, this summer, we're moving through the book of Ephesians, more verse by verse. And I like to, once or twice a year, really take a book of the Bible, and really go through it verse by verse and, and, uh, and just allow the writings of that book dictate the topics that we go through. And so every, every year, a few times throughout the year, I sit down and I, and I pray and I seek the Lord for direction on messages for our church. And, and so I kind of like build out a, a calendar based upon like what the Lord is showing me. And sometimes there's different topics and things like that. Um, but I love to just take a book of the Bible and allow it to then choose for us the topics we discuss. What I have loved about our series this summer is it seems like every single week that, uh, we, that the order of Ephesians has aligned perfectly to the order of things that we've needed to hear as a church and it has aligned perfectly to things we need to hear as even Americans in our society. That, that there have been like some major events that have taken place in our country over the course of the last several weeks. And then that Sunday, I'm like, it just aligns with where we're at in Ephesians. Like, like not planned by me. It just, it just works so perfectly. And uh, so this is part eight of Ephesians. And today, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter five. We'll be in, start in verse 21. But today, we're going to talk about families in Christ families in Christ this whole series is called in Christ because uh I'm sure you'll remember but I'll just review a little bit this is eight weeks now but we're calling this series in Christ because 38 times throughout the book of Ephesians Paul uses the phrase or its equivalent in Christ 38 times he does that and uh and so everything changes when you put it in Christ and so the first three chapters of Ephesians really is helping teach us doctrine. It's helping t- give us great teaching about belief. And then the latter part uh, of Ephesians really is helping teach us about our behaviors. Last week we talked though, uh, more about Christian living. That, that because of, of the cause of Christ, it means something for how we act and how we behave. And now Paul's going to lean into how we uh, our households. Um, and, and, and I would tell you that families, put, when you take your family, your marriage, your children, what you do for work, and you put it in Christ, like there's just no better way to do family than to have Christ at the center of your family. And uh, time and time again, you know, like as a pastor, I get the opportunity to help people in the way of their relationships and their family and, their, and with their kids um, and with, with maybe struggles they have at work. And I'm telling you that like, Jesus has to be at the center of this in order for it to really, really operate the way God intended it to be. I think that uh, some of the major questions that people always ask in life is they want to know, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? Ultimately, it's the, it's the question of purpose. What is the purpose of my life? Everybody wants to know these, the answers to these questions. And I know that like some people, uh, all of us, are at one point or another, we're looking for a very specific answer from God. Like, like, you are supposed to go have that particular job, and that's what I'm called, like, like yes, that, that may be true sometimes. But I think you can tell a lot about God's will for your life specifically by looking around. And what I mean by that is is, uh, when, when you look around, what has God put in your life right here and now? And that will tell you a lot about what God's will for your life is. So for instance, if you're here today and you are married, God's will for your life is to be the best husband or wife that you can be. That is God's call, that is God's purpose, that is his will for you. If you have children, God's will for you is to help mother and father those children as best as you possibly can. That is his will and his purpose for your life. If you are a child, (laughs) which would be all of us, then God's call for you is to honor your parents, like, and so we can know that about our lives, and I would even take a little step further, and if you have a job, I did not say if you love your job, 90% of people you ask are looking for another job, (laughs) They've been at that job for 35 years, but they're looking for another one. You know, like, I'm just not happy with this job. If you have a job, then God's call for you is, is to, to uh, do everything as though you do it unto the Lord, including your work. And I think there is something very worshipful and even holy about work. No matter what the job is, work is an important element to our lives, but, if when you put your work in Christ, it will shift and change the way you see your work. you know I, I I say this all the time, but career is how we make a dollar, but calling is how we make a difference and so your calling sometimes may be connected to your career. But even if it's not, it's still God's call, it's still God's purpose, it's still God's will for you to be working, a husband, a a wife, a father, a mother, and so it it may not be as detailed and specific as you want it to be, but if you're married, God's call for you is to be a husband or a wife. If you're a parent, God's call for you is to be a parent. If you're a child, God's call is for you to, and so align yourself to the will of God in those things because you can know for certain that that's God's will for your life. And so in, so, we're going to jump into Ephesians, and Paul's really going to help us now in these relationships, in, in God's will for our lives, in these areas. And so real quick, before we get started, by a raise of hands, how many people in, in here today are married? Let me see your hands. Let me see. How many people, okay, okay, good, good, good. How many of you uh, in this room want to be married? Raise your hand if you want to be married. Okay, uh, wait, what are you doing? I, we're married. Oh, okay. Okay, she, she wants to continue being married to me. Okay, I, let me clarify that question. How many of you are not married but want to be married? Okay, all the single people, look around. Look around, Okay. Now you know you need to move your seat around next Sunday, all right? Get the single people mingling, and uh, and how many of you don't want to be married anymore? I'm just kidding. Okay, no, don't answer that question. Don't want to be married. Okay, hands down. Uh, you know, as a pastor, sometimes it's funny because like uh, like like you'll meet with people and they're like, Pastor Devin, I just want to be married. I just want to be married. I just want to be married. Then you meet with married people, they're like, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married. I'm like, y'all need to talk. You know, like uh, it's it's no it's no wonder that family. And marriage relationships sometimes are the most difficult relationships that we have in this life. And uh, the deeper you know someone, the deeper you can hurt someone. And, uh, and the, tighter, the closer that relationship, the more the, the uh, deficiencies of our life manifest in those relationships. I'll never forget that the year before Jenny and I got married, um, the Lord really brought me th- through a lot of healing um, In the area of forgiveness uh, that I didn't even necessarily know I was harboring this unforgiveness in me until it reared its ugly head and and I was able to be coached and counseled and discipled through that and find real healing and wholeness and it was and I and I just felt the peace of God because I knew God was preparing me for marriage to Jenny by helping me deal with those hurts and pains that I had stuffed down over the years because what happens is whatever, whatever deficiencies we have, when you get married, it will manifest times 11. <laughs> and, and, and so we have to be in Christ, put our marriage in Christ, and, and, and in order to help uh, move forward in a healthy way. And so Paul's going to kick this off right away. So, so we just saw a raise of hands, that people married, people want to be married. Uh, people don't want to be a man anymore. And we saw, so this, this applies to really so, so many of us, if not all of us today. And he kicks it off like this in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 1. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And th- everything else hinges on this very first statement. That this idea of submission to one another not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, but out of reverence for the God I serve. And so the first step in any healthy relationship, whether between man and wife, but whether between parent and child, between sibling and sibling, is a reverence for Christ that I am willing to submit to you and you mutually are willing to submit to me. So my role as a husband is not that I lord it over Jenny. I'm not her boss. I am not uh, the CEO of the Galloway household. But we are mutually submitted to one one another out of reverence for Christ that we have placed in the center of our relationship. And so don't get this confused as we move forward that that it is about equal parts of, of, of submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. But if you don't have Christ in your relationship, then you don't have the reverence to submit to one another. So Christ has to be the center. So Paul he he continues. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as what? As you do the Lord. So he says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as what? As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is the Savior, of which he is the Savior. Now, if we were to stop right there, it's going to seem as though uh, what the world would say today, that, that women in that kind of relationship are oppressed, that the husband is the head of the wife and he is the boss and he is the, now I believe that, that, that men are called by God is to be the spiritual leaders of our home. But it doesn't give you permission to be a jerk. Because we're about to read an entire long paragraph that Paul writes about this idea of wives submitting to husbands. He's gonna have very little to say about the wives. And he's going to say a whole lot about us men. So men, listen very closely. I know if you stop at that first verse, you feel very empowered. That your wife is going to listen to you. She's going to obey you. She's going to submit to you. But as you continue to read, I think what you'll find is that God's call for husbands to love his wife supersedes what it means to submit, a wife to submit to her husband. And that the responsibility on the husband is far greater than the responsibility of a wife to submit. And Paul's gonna have a lot to say specifically to us husbands. He says, verse 24, by the way, if you're in the Orange Bible, it's page 800, I forgot to mention that. Now as the church, as the church, think about us, as we submit to Christ, So also, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And here's where he heads with this. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And what did Jesus do? He gave himself up for her. So if a wife is submitted to a husband that is willing to give himself up for her, he is equally as submitted to her that he would submit his own life to her. So this is still a mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy holy and blameless. Our job as husbands is to submit our lives and to give of our lives to our wives to make them look awesome. To help cover every flaw and thing that that people may say of her and say, no, 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 my wife's awesome. And we give our lives for her sake. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And this is where sometimes a root of problem begins. Is if you don't love yourself, you can't love your wife. If you haven't been freed from unforgiveness and, and inner turmoil, then it will be expressed in your relationship with your wife. Your self esteem problem will be then uh w- would be overshadowed onto your wife as well. Your own insecurities will come out into your relationship with your wife. So we, husbands, we have to get whole, we have to get free from some of that stuff so that we can love our wives as we love ourselves. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever ever hated their own body But they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. So Christ loves and cares and feeds the church. And our call as husbands is to take that same type of care for our wives. For we are members of this body, verse 31, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is so important to, to know about the sanctity of marriage, is it's not, uh, it's not me versus you, your life and my life, but in marriage, it's our lives now actually make one brand new one. And so, um, when, we, when two people get married, but they want to keep individual lives, they're, they're not One. So if, if, if a husband marries his wife but still has friends that are women, you have to, you have to move on from certain things in life because you're starting a new life together. One life. And uh, I, I, I just don't understand sometimes how people can be married but still live two individual lives. When... When we come together in marriage, we are, when we perform a marriage ceremony, we are actually pronouncing them there together as one life together. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that right there is the key the key thing to to really build upon this, that that the husband is to love his wife and the wife is to respect her husband. And that is what it all comes down to, is that husbands have a propensity to want to be respected by their wives. Which is probably why God's call for the wives is to submit and to respect her husband. But wives wives want their husbands to love them, which is why God's call for men, husbands, is to love their wives. And maybe you've read this book, but there's a great book called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson. It's a great book. I'd encourage you to get a copy. And uh, so I want to share some thoughts from his work today. But the first thing that we really want to talk about is the idea of marriage in Christ. Remember Paul, 38 times he's talking about things in Christ and now he's talking about taking our marriages, all of our married people raised their hand earlier, and putting our marriages now in Christ. And in so, he's saying, husbands, love your wives so much that you will lay down your personal interest, you will lay down your life to honor her, to serve her, to love her, and wives submit yourselves to your husbands to respect him and build him up mutually submitted to one another cuz here's the thing is that wives on the next slide wives are made to love a wife wants to be loved she wants to love she has an ex- expectation to love all the love Husbands are made to be respected and and men want to be respected. They expect to be respected. But watch this. Without love from him, she reacts without respect. Without respect from her, he reacts without what? Without love. And now you can quickly see how a relationship can spiral out of control into a whirlwind in a, 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 a complete cycle of disconnection. Because the man wants to be respected and honored and she wants to be loved, but she can't love him, but she can't respect him because she doesn't feel loved and pursued. And he can't respect her because he doesn't, he can't love her because he doesn't feel respected. And, and then the cycle just continues until sometime in some way that cycle is broken. And if you are caught in this cycle, that cycle can be brought to an end when one person decides to make it end. And men, I would tell you that I, and my challenge to you, is it's up to you to break that cycle and to love your wife. So, when, so next slide. When a husband feels disrespected, it's especially hard to love his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, it is especially hard to respect her husband. As you can see, the cycle continuing. Because the reality is no husband feels affection towards a wife who appears to have contempt for who he is as a human being. And the key to creating fond feelings of love in a husband towards his wife is through her showing him unconditional respect. And no wife feels respect for a husband who doesn't make her feel like a priority, doesn't make her feel pursued, doesn't make her feel like he knows anything about her. And the key to creating fond feelings is for him to offer her unconditional love. The problem is, is that too often we focus on our own needs. We focus on our own needs and simply overlook the needs of our spouse. It is very easy to get to focus on what you are experiencing now and it's also very easy not to see how your own behaviors are affecting them. Isn't this true? It's easy to see what's being done to us before we before we ever see what we are doing to our spouse. So let me give you some tips. Men listen, women, women often confront with the intention to connect. Let me say that again. Women are prone to confront you. Your woman is prone to confront you because she wants to connect with you. The typical response from a man, however, is that he thinks. His wife is confronting him to control him. And now you can imagine that defenses begin to rise. So whether it's right or wrong, men will interpret their world through the lens of respect. Her confronting me makes me feel disrespected now. And so, when, so seeing their world through the lens of respect... Then in in return, a, listen women, listen very closely, a wife's softened tone and facial expressions can do more for her marriage than she can ever imagine. And men remember that she confronts to connect. She's not trying to control. It will... Now, your lens of respect that you are seeing the world through is going to feel like control. But, <laughs> wives, um, we may not look like it sometimes, we may not act like it, but we're just little, little scared boys on the inside, okay? We're, we're just terrified little boys on the inside when it comes to you our spouse. And so when you need to confront us, when you need to even correct us, just remember, we're a fragile little boy on the inside, so please tread lightly. And we will typically otherwise respond in a way that we are trying to pretend to be tough and strong deserving of respect and that unfortunately will come out looking very defensive and angry but our defensiveness and anger is really just us trying to cover up the fact that we're just a scared boy inside and you're and 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 you telling me that that you're unsatisfied with something about me it hurts my ego and my manhood and so i'm going to pretend like it doesn't hurt and just get mad Maybe that's not all of you, but it might be some of you. So, so listen, wives, a softened tone and facial expression will go a long way in your marriage. And just remember that we're just scared little boys on the inside. Let us down softly. And that can look something like this. Hey, hey hubby, whatever your little code name is, Okay. You fill in the blank. Hey hubby, there's something that I was hoping to talk to you about. Could I do that for a second? And I want you to to know that that I love you, and I think you're strong. And this is not, and I'm not here to fight with you. But I just wanted you to know that whenever you leave for work and that trash can is still full from the night before when I asked you to take it out. I just feel like you really don't listen to me. And, I'm, and I hope that I'm not trying to fight with you. Otherwise, it would sound like you left for work with the trash can full again. I had to drag it out. It ripped, got all over the place. Dogs got into it. I mean, it was, it was a complete mess, and uh, you're a jerk. You really are. Well, I wouldn't have to do that if you didn't do this. And, da, 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 da. and here goes the cycle, right? All right, tip for men. Men, the truth is, the truth is for men, okay, I'm sorry guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna spill a secret. I'm going to tell all the wives right now. Listen, women, it is easier for a man to go and die at war than to come to you humbly and lovingly say, I believe I was wrong. And some would rather go to war and die <laughs> and to lovingly and humbly come before their spouse and say, I was wrong. Can we talk about this? Can you tell me how I made you feel A man would rather die for honor than to turn to their wife in the middle of a conflict and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Because uh, the manly side says to die for honor. That's what it means to be a man. But it takes real guts in the middle of a conflict to humbly and lovingly apologize and forgive. And so Paul's encouragement to men and husbands to love their wives and as Christ loves the church, I think men, what Paul is telling us is it takes real guts to do that. It takes real strength to take care of your wife, to love your wife, I think Paul is saying, be a man. And I I, I want you guys to be the first to hear about this, um, but I want you to take note of this, and we're going to have a lot more communication coming out uh, in the coming weeks, but on September 18th, here at New Life, we are going to be hosting a marriage event. Um, For all of our married people that have tied the knot one day, we're going to hold a marriage event called Tighten the Knot. Over time, after you've tied the knot, that knot sometimes gets a little stressed, maybe even a little loose, but we're going to have an evening called Tighten the Knot for Married People, and I invite all of you to, uh, to join us in that event. Registration for this event will open in August, and uh, it'll be on a Sunday evening. Uh will be right here in the worship center. We will have a meal um, a friend of mine, uh, uh, he, uh, he and his wife will come and speak on a topic of marriage and family. Uh, they, are, they are pastors. They have 14 children. And they're really funny. I think you have to have a sense of humor to have 14 children. But it's going to be a really powerful night. and Because uh, let me tell you something. Um, over two years ago, the very first time I sat down with the board of this church, before I was even your pastor, I sat down with, with the board and we, we just had a discussion, to f- trying to f- figure out God's will as, as whether or not I'd be the pastor here. I asked the board of this church in October or November of 2019, I said, what's the number one need of Kokomo? What does is, what is the city of Kokomo need the most? And every member of the board of this church at the time looked at me and said, Kokomo has one of the highest divorce rates in the nation. And I said, really? They said, oh yeah. And so I know that the city of Kokomo has hurting people. And that one of the things that we want to be on a mission to do is to help people reconcile in their relationships. We gotta get Christ in the center, but then we have to give them real practical ways to live and have a healthy marriage. And so this, so this event in September is one of the ways that we want to really begin to help married people, not just stay married, but thrive married. And, um, and so I invite you to come to that, but, but really what we really desire for this event is for you to invite married people to it. Because again, this isn't just about married people for New Life Church. It is. But it's secondary. It is about reaching married people in our city that just need hope in their marriage. And so be looking for that registration to open in August. It'll be $40. We'll have a catered meal, a guest speaker. It's going to be a fun night, and I hope that you will leave inspired. So you'll hear more about that uh, in the coming weeks. So Marriage in Christ. The second thing Paul talks about is children in Christ. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, children, obey. We love that, don't we, parents? It's in the Bible. We say it every day. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And there it is again. So for our kids, again, obedience to parents is what? It's in Christ, in the Lord. So we gotta get our kids in Christ and out of reverence for God, children will obey their parents. Not always, but it's a good start. Great start. Paul says, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's in quotations because this is a commandment from the Old Testament, which then he points out, which is the first commandment with the promise. Out of the Ten Commandments, only one of them has It comes with a promise. And children, the promise for you is that it will go well with you and you will enjoy a long life on earth because if you disrespect me, I'm going to cut you short. (laughs) It's the only command that that follows with a promise that if, if you honor and obey your parents, it will go well with you. And I like to remind my kids every once in a while, if you, if you obey me, it's going to go well. If you do not obey me, it will not go well. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, it's like, uh, it definitely is written for a child to understand, it seems. But yet, uh, Colossians, Paul writes a similar letter to the Church of Colossae, and in Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in everything all the parents are like I'm writing that down for later every at capital everything for why? why for this pleases the lord. Ephesians says obey your parents in the lord and Paul says a different way in Colossians obey your parents for it pleases god. And so again the heart is it is in Christ, children in Christ. And so if you're a child here today, maybe you're a teenager a middle schooler, I want to challenge you in raising your level of honor for your parents. I promise you, they don't want to control you. They want to care for you. I promise you, they're not trying to make your life harder. They lived hard years, and they don't want to see you make the same mistakes. And I apologize for times that as parents, we don't always know how to articulate it for a way for your unformed mind to understand but it is out of great love for you to protect you to see see every parent's dream is that their child will su- will surpass them one day in success in life in growth and health we only want to see our children exceed our own success and that's why we're serious about responsibilities. We're serious about your growth. We're serious about your faith. We're not trying to annoy you. We're trying to grow you. We're trying to make you strong so that, so that, so that when you go out into the world, nothing's going to take our child away. Nothing's going to take your heart away. And so, so, uh, so kids, turn your hearts back to your parents and that way it pleases the Lord. And then Paul shifts again and he starts talking about parenting in Christ. Parenting in Christ. This is what he says in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So again, we're putting the Lord in, we're putting Christ in to our parenting. The word exasperate simply means to frustrate. that We can and, and fathers, if, if we're not careful, we can easily frustrate our children. You see, the one tactic of parenting is the quick fix parenting. Quick fix parenting is a shut up, put it away now, do it or else. And they don't shut up, they don't put it away, and they don't do it. So quick fix parenting is just is, is go away, make, make the problem go away. But but by trying quick fix parenting, you may get them to uh, align for a moment, but it actually prolongs the problem. So quick fix parenting is only quick in the, you get five seconds. But you will get greater amounts of the same behavior if it, and it may even be escalated. A second kind is in intentional parenting. Intentional parenting takes more time in the immediate, but it leads to greater health in the future. So quick fix is stop it or else. But then it never stops ever. Intentional parenting is taking the time to patiently sit with the child, correct the child, Sometimes give consequences for the child, taking the time to ensure that those consequences do not get overturned. But they, they suffer the, uh, the, the right kinds of consequences. In parenting, listen parents, this is, if, I, if I give you any advice, this is the advice I would give you. It was given to me. And that is, it is so important that in our parenting, there is always equal parts consequence and equal parts Empathy equal parts consequence and equal parts empathy. And that sounds like this. Oh, buddy. I am so sorry that you got in that fight. That had to be scary. But we don't fight. And so, for that reason, you will be grounded the rest of the weekend. You're not going back out in the neighborhood. You will not be seeing your friends. You're going to be staying here, and I, and I, that's going to be probably pretty boring. And I'm really sorry that's going to be boring. But we're not going to act that way. And the child will probably what throw a fit. Oh, I'm sure that this hurts. Because bad decisions do hurt, buddy. And then you let them suffer the consequence of being grounded all weekend long and not seeing your friends because that's what you said. But you didn't say it loud. You said it with empathy. Equal parts consequence and empathy will actually help the child learn the consequences of their decisions. Otherwise, if it's all consequences the real problem of why they fight or why they argue or why they didn't do their chores, the real problem gets completely put on the shelf because now their problem is you. And now they're not trying to fix the problem, they're just trying to argue with you. And so one of Jenny's favorite statements is, no problem, no problem. And move on. Let the child panic, let the child freak out. And let them know, it's not a problem for me. It's a problem for you. So don't make your problem, hey, you're the one who didn't do the homework, buddy. I'm so sorry that tonight you're probably going to have to do extra homework to catch up. What? What, Well, no problem. No problem for me. Possible problem for you. So we don't bail our kids out. And we'll, oh, I'll do it with you. I'll sit down with you. and uh, I could go on and on about parenting. It's Parenting is probably, parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. And if you have ever been a parent, uh, then, then you could understand just how difficult sometimes parenting can be. Because your heart is so heavy for your children to succeed and grow and to love the Lord and and sometimes when we see our children make mistakes, our fear and anxiety goes way up. Like, they're gonna be they're, they're never gonna they're never gonna succeed, they're never gonna love God, and, and like we throw it all out. Like, but but it's important to just remain steady so they can learn what steady is. Be faithful so they can know what faithful is. Have healthy conflict so they know what healthy conflict is. So much of it is controlling our selves and our emotions so they can learn how to do the same Colossians says it like this fathers do not embitter your children or they will be discouraged and I would tell you that out of my office for the last 15 years of ministry my office has been a revolving door of people that have been embittered by fathers and they're in their 30s 40s 50s, and they are still embittered by the behaviors of a father. So fathers, the words we speak to our children carry so much more weight. When we look at our children and we tell them, I love you, I believe in you, and I know that you have what it takes, those will be the words that they will remember into their adult life but if we tell them they're no good they're stupid they're incapable they're a problem those will be the words they remember so fathers don't embitter your children because it leads to discouragement but may we look at our children and say i love you i believe in you and i know that you have what it takes those are the three things I try to repeat to my children. I love you. I remember as when they were little, I we I'd tuck them in bed every night, especially these two older boys. Tuck them in bed. And uh we we always used to have these bedtime routines and and uh I remember I I'm having a little bit of flashback cuz they're about to be 14 and like uh, in my, I close my eyes and I still see Aiden and Joel as four-year-olds. But then I open them and they're almost 14 and they're looking me in the eye, and it just makes you feel really old. <laughs> but I remember when they were little boys. Um, at bedtime, we I would sit in their room with my guitar, and uh, we'd s- sing worship songs and we'd pray. So many nights, I would end that by praying for them and saying, hey, Daddy loves you, I believe in you, and I know that you have what it takes. And even in times of difficulty and frustration, in times of my boys, I say the reason I'm so upset with you is I know that you have what it takes to be far greater than me, and I don't want to see you spoil it. And uh, so, Fathers, our responsibility to our wives and children is quite heavy. Paul had a lot to say specifically to us. But that is what it means to be the leader of our homes. To be a spiritual leader in our homes does not mean you get to be a boss. It doesn't mean you get to be an executive. It means you get to be an example. It it doesn't make me the executive, it means I have to be an example. And that's a big difference. And I think that a husband that is willing to be an example of the love of Christ, a wife wants to submit to that. If you want a submissive wife, be an example of Christ, she'll submit to that. So our call to be the head of the house, like Christ is the church, it's heavy. but it's a road of humility, it's a road of love and equal submission, that we're willing to submit our lives for the sake of our families. So the child's call to obey is not the parent's right to abuse. Don't be harsh or provoking. And parents, here's a thought that I have that I remind myself of this, is that your parenting should deserve obedience rather than demand it. We can demand obedience from our kids And certainly if you demand it Loud enough, harsh enough Angry enough You'll get it For a while You can get it for a while But then there'll be a day That that boy's a man That that girl's a woman And you can say it loud enough Harsh enough, angry enough And they won't care anymore so parenting should deserve honor, deserve obedience, rather than demand it. And that has a whole lot to do with how we conduct ourselves than how our children are, conduct themselves. And then Paul finishes this, and he talks about our work. So the last thing, I want to talk about our work in Christ, and then we'll wrap this up. And actually, the worst, you guys can go ahead and get in place. So we'll, I'll, be, be, I'll try to expedite this in a way. We talked about our work. This is what he says now in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Paul says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. This word fear means to to honor. And obviously Paul is writing into a world where masters and slaves was prominent. But don't confuse what Paul is saying here, that God is, is uh, a proponent of slavery. So don't confuse those two things. Paul is writing into the reality that there was slavery, not, not uh, that he's accommodating of it. But I think we can he- hear this through a context of, of a worker-employer relationship, Okay? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. How? Just as you would obey Christ. So all of your work problems that you may have, you need to put it in Christ. You need to put it in Christ. He says, obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. In other words, he's saying, don't try to impress the boss when he's looking. Do the right thing even when he's not looking, because you're not working for him anyway. You're not working for boss man. You're working for the son of man. And that'll shift your perspective on the work you have. If you really, like, you're, you're dreading going back to work tomorrow, then I hope that you can reframe what you're doing in your work. That you could reframe it, that you don't work for Stellantis, Chrysler, GM, wherever you work. You don't work for man, you work for God. And, that, and if you imagine that God has given you that specific opportunity, then don't waste it you will serve and you will, you, will, you will work as though you're not working for man, you're working for God. And when you do that wholeheartedly, it will change you. It will change your perspective. And, and from my experience, it always actually ended up elevating me in my work. So verse 7, he says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. So the Christian worker out in the workforce, the Christian worker at the line at Chrysler, the Christian worker at university should look different. We work hard. Because we're not working for you, we're working for God. Like, Like, if we would work in the same way that we worship in this room, I think our work would look different. And I think that our work is our worship if we do it as Paul says, as unto the Lord. And so when people say, who are you trying to impress around here? Nobody. God gave me this job, and I'm going to do this as unto him. Whether people are looking or not. I don't need notoriety. I don't, I don't, whatever. I'm doing this for the Lord. So tomorrow morning, when it comes and that alarm goes off, and you start headed to work, I want you to remember, I'm serving God with my job. It says this in verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And the verse 9 says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism With him. And so I would I would say that this is for every every person that is in leadership. If you are leadership at your work, or maybe you are a business owner, Paul's word to you is don't threaten your workers. And ultimately, what he's saying is don't threaten them, don't be harsh in them, because you should know they don't work for you, they work for God. And you should know that the master that they are serving is the master that you have to serve under. That your authority, your leadership, should reflect the authority and leadership of the master that you all are serving. And it should look like it's in Christ. And so, my encouragement to to all of you that, uh, that work, have jobs, and maybe you love your job, maybe you hate your job, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, A lot of stuff for you is that give you this, this framework that your vocation is ministry location. That where you work is where you can minister. This is just to reframe how we do our life, that it's all in Christ. And that maybe God put you on that line. Maybe God put you in that office. Maybe God put you in that university. Maybe God put you at that retail place. Because he has broken kids there. He wants to reach them with the light. So shine your light. Your vocation is your ministry location. Many years ago, I I was a bivocational pastor, which means that I, I... was part-time on staff at a church and I worked other jobs to help supplement my income. Because churches uh, couldn't pay me full-time and but I knew that was what I was called to do. Well, a year came years ago that I began to work in full-time ministry where uh, I was privileged enough, I still consider myself very privileged that I get to commit my full-time attention to the ministry. And when that happened, I noticed almost a void in me that I'm constantly trying to be purposeful to fill. And that is, I began to realize in that first year that I was so used to having jobs out in the kind of like secular world that now I I felt like I lived in a church bubble where I was stuck with church people doing church things. And I'm like, I don't know I don't know unsaved people anymore. Because I had moved away, full time ministry, full gas, serving God. And I'm like, I feel, why do I feel so empty? This is what I've always wanted. I always wanted to be in full time ministry. But yet here I am, I have this void and I realize, oh, because I don't know unsaved people anymore. I used to be able to go to work and I could go to work not as Pastor Devin, just as a guy who loves Jesus and is bringing hope to the world. And I was like, well, then I got to do something. So I became best friends with my neighbor. And he and my neighbors begin to be my outlet and and, and so I f- try to find ways that I can be out in the community, maybe even using some of my natural interest because I have to know people that are unsaved. And I would I would tell you that after years of full-time ministry that there is still this part of me that is so jealous of all of you. I As your pastor, I'm jealous that tomorrow you get to go to work because there's broken people there. There's unsaved people there. I'm jealous of you that you get to on a daily basis and it's just there. You're working next to them. You're built, you, have friend, you have friendships with them. You have the opportunity to be used by God in those places. And I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. I have to work intentionally to get myself into those situations. So I join golf leagues and I do things like that and it's awesome. I'm pastoring people in a golf cart. It's great. But I'm jealous of you. I just hope that you realize how good you have it. I hope you realize that God's will for you I mean, listen to what Paul said. He said, He says, doing the will of God from your heart. The will of God. But what's he talking about? He's talking about slaves and masters, employers, employees. He says, Do the will of God. So your work is God's will. And your work may change, but if you work, it's God's will. And it's more than that, it can be God's ministry in your life to those around you. So if there's anything I can do as a pastor, my hope is I can always help inspire the people of our church to reach people. That people don't find New Life Church. New Life Church every week goes out and finds people because we get to, and I hope that you can reframe the idea of what God's called you to do, That reframe the idea that God has called you as a husband or a wife, that God has called you as a parent, or if God has called you as a child, and that God has called you to your vocation, and it is your ministry location. And if we, we can start right there and say, okay God, I don't know the greater necessarily direct purpose or desire or, or will for your, of my life, but I know I'm a child, So I'm going to be a child. I'm a husband or a wife. I'm going to be a husband or a wife. I have a job, and I'm going to serve, not man, I'm going to serve you in it. How awesome would it be to put these things now in Christ? Let's stand together, and we'll wrap this up. And as you stand, if you're here today, and you need, I'll tell you what, If you're standing next to your spouse, I want you to take your spouse by the hand. Take your spouse by the hand. Maybe put your arm around her. Arm around him. Take your spouse by the hand. Come here, baby. I want to pray for your marriage. I hope that your marriage is the as strongest as it's ever been right now. But even if it's not, there is grace for you, there's mercy, and it's not over yet. I pray that New Life Church would begin to be an example to our city that we don't quit. So Lord, I pray for every married person that is either in the room today or this part of our church and not here today. God, I pray that you would renew a flame in their hearts, in all of our hearts for our marriages. That we would submit our marriages to be in Christ. Husbands loving wives, wives submitting to husbands. We pray for strengthened marriages. God, we pray for the future of marriages. God, we pray for the future of marriages in Kokomo, that the trend would be reversed. The trend of divorce would be reversed in our city when it's in Christ. We, God, I pray for every parent that's here today. They have an incredibly important job. The most important job of their life is to be a parent. Lord, give us great wisdom in how to lead our families and lead our children. We pray for our children, that you would protect them from the things of this world that want to devour their hearts. Lord, may we produce a culture in our home that is stronger than the culture trying to deceive our kids. And may it start in every one of us when we place our dependency in Christ alone. And Lord, for those of us that have work, Lord, I pray that you would bless our work, bless the work of our hands, renew a spirit in us that we're not serving the man, we're serving God. And may we do it with great Passion wholeheartedly as Paul says because you ultimately give the reward and in doing so God I pray that we would be a light to the world that someone we work next to Lord needs the hope of Jesus and that you would help us form relationships friendships with people that ultimately lead them to a everlasting relationship with you we pray this in Jesus name amen